beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It is the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. Stay tuned as we explore consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. And good afternoon. This is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, and I'm your host, Michael Benner. February sure raced by, didn't it? So here we are, two down, ten to go, till 2022. Time flies, as they say, and uh, faster and faster at that. Great show for you today. My guest is Chuck Hillig. We're going to talk about everything from relationships to quantum physics and back again. You're going to really like it. Stay with us for that. We are still in the winter fun drive here at KPFK. So you can do one of two things. You can donate now and uh, make your contribution to the winter fun drive and settle in and listen to the interview. Or we'll come back on the flip side and ask you then to make your contribution after you've heard this killer program. And we get a chance to remind you what you'd be missing if this radio station ever went dark. God forbid. And yet these are critical times. I mean, if you've been listening during the fun drive, You've heard desperation in the voices of most of the hosts. And that's because, in all honesty, these are desperate times. We had a big budget cut, a 30% budget cut. We've lost staff. You know, we have a very small paid staff, only people that need to be here every single day. Most of us are volunteers. Certainly our guests are never paid, but we have expenses. We're broadcasting 110,000 watts off the top of Mount Wilson. And besides keeping the lights on, there's just a lot of expense involved in keeping a radio station like this running. Even mailing out the thank you gifts and the premiums is costly. Or paying the credit card fees when you donate using a credit or debit card. That costs money. It's really quite surprising. So... What I'd really like you to do here at the top of the show is consider how it would feel if you turned on 90.7 KPFK or maybe you listen through the web at kpfk.org and one day we're not here. That's a distinct possibility. We're at that threshold and we need to fund this radio station. We're deep in debt. We've already mortgaged the building. We've thought of everything that we can do. And the truth is we're still recovering from the big hit that we took in 2008 as a result of the crashed economy. For all their talk about fiscal responsibility, it seems to be something Republican administrations do. The economy went in the tank at the end of the Reagan administration, at the end of the George W. Bush administration, and clearly at the end of the Trump administration. The national debt has never been higher, and an unemployment reflects the Great Depression of 90 years ago. So if currently you're unemployed, certainly we understand. If, however, you're fortunate enough to still be working, 
help out, pick up the slack. Give us a call now at 818-985-5735 or point your computer browser to kpfk.org forward slash donate. is the author of a number of books, one of which you may know about, and if not, you should know about, Enlightenment for Beginners. Chuck has been a psychotherapist for many years here in California. He's currently living back east and mostly retired, but uh, it's hard to keep a good man down. And he's also a spiritual trainer and a philosopher and a friend of mine who I've interviewed before and it's a pleasure to have him on KPFK today on the Ageless Wisdom Show. Chuck Hilly, hello, sir. Well, thank you, Michael. It's such an honor to be here and to, to hang out with you again. Thanks. Well, good. Thanks for joining us uh, on KPFK today. I've always liked your work because of its breadth. You go from the personal uh, through the metaphysical to the universal, even quantum physics. Uh, I'd like to see if we can skate through that whole local to non-local and back again and <laughs> see if we can get our arms around it. Uh, what attracted you as a young fellow to psychotherapy and psychology and, and working with people's heartache and their problems in the beginning? What was the attraction for you? Well, I've, I've had a rather checkered career over over the years, my first career was I was an officer in the Navy and for about three years and uh, I got out and I became a caseworker for the Bureau of Child Welfare in New York City for about six months. And then I used um, my first master's degree, which is in theater. And I taught at a state university in Pennsylvania for a couple of years. And then my marriage fell apart. Um, I was married to a very strict Catholic um, young girl, and she did not like the fact that I was beginning to drift away from my very strict Catholic training. I went to a Catholic grade school, a Catholic high school uh, with the Dominican priests, a Catholic university with the Jesuits, Catholic uh, graduate school. So I was deeply steeped into all that. And I began to have a um, a pullback from that belief system. I was asking questions really of myself and of um, the priests, and they did not give me answers that satisfied my, my heart, that, that just didn't put me at peace. And I drifted away, and she felt that anyway. Um, that prompted me to, to leave. And I left where I was starting a, a PhD program, actually, at Bowling Green State University. And uh, the marriage fell apart. I, was, I had a couple of kids, and I catapulted myself out to Haight-Ashbury. <laughs> And I lived out in Haight-Ashbury for a while and uh, ran out of money eventually and drifted south and became a an L.A. County probation officer working with kids. And I did that very happily for about six and a half years uh, down in L.A. County. And during that time, um, circling back to the original question, uh, during that time, I discovered that I was really good at talking to kids and that the kids would really talk to me and I could I could interact with them and relate to them. 
And so I began to think maybe I can do another career. Maybe I could go back to school, get another master's degree and become a, a licensed marriage and family therapist. And that's exactly what I did. So I went back to school from 1975 to 1977 and I got my, my degree and uh, I got all my hours together. I passed the state exam the first time I tried. And in 1978, I hung out my shingle and, and started doing psychotherapy. I wonder if I can share with you or get your response to a concept or dilemma that I've turned over in my mind over and over again for many years. Hmm. And that's, that's the degree to which what we perceive as problems that are done to us or exist in the external world may be, for the most part, found in our response to those problems, or perhaps better said, our perception of those problems, and they're really our problems. But somebody else in that same situation might not see it as a problem at all. How do we take ownership of what we call problems in life and and feel like they're being done to us? Yes, it's that um, the <laughs> the great call of wanting to be a victim and wanting to be victimized by those around us. But uh, initially, even couching something in terms of a problem. The word problem has a problem with it because it has a lot of baggage. It seems like it's wrong, it's bad, it needs it needs to be pushed away. But if you look at it as a, simply a situation or an event that needs to be handled or looked at or dived into deeply, but if it's a problem, then it's wrong and you become wrong for having that problem. And then there's resistance to it. Sometimes the best way out of a quote-unquote problem is just to be with it, to just to be with it and to, you know, wear it around for a bit, just to kind of see what lessons it has to teach you as it's showing up. I don't believe in accidents. I think that whatever shows up in your life, whatever's on your path, has been there. You have invited it um, on your path in order to... to um, educate you, in order to elucidate you, in order to edify you in some way. So it's a gift. It's it's a gift that you are, in fact, giving to yourself. And the people that show up that, that seem to be enemies are not really enemies at all. They are, you know, gurus that are maybe a little bit tougher on you than you would prefer them to be. But everybody's trying to teach you something. Everybody, in effect, is trying to wake you up. And what they're trying to wake you up from is the illusion that you are separate, that, that you are divided from, from the universe itself, that you are a, um, a stranger in a strange land and you're walking as this separated avatar entity through this separated land. Um, that's a lonely place to, to come from and, and to believe that you're in because there's, there's no escape. You just have to plod on through there, experience the pain, deal with the suffering, and then eventually die without knowing anything, without really having gone into deeply who and what really you are. Well, that certainly seems to be central to all of our problems, this separation anxiety. That's a term that psychologists use in a very different way, but I think we're talking about a larger spiritual separation anxiety that 
we suffer from this delusion that's reinforced by the appearance of things. Gosh, my body certainly seems separate. I'm always reaching out for a handshake or a hug or before COVID anyway, uh, <laughs> trying to make some sort of connection. We all want love. And um, we live in a world of separated forms, right? It would certainly seem so, but I, I kind of have, again, one of my things is that I like to do is to distill things down. So my definition is hell is the belief that you are separate and heaven however, is the knowing that you are not separate. Heaven is knowing you're not separate. Hell is believing that you are separate. So that begs the question, how do I go from the highway to hell to the stairway to heaven? <laughs> how do I get there, Chuck? Well, that's, that's, that, this is the, the great um, illusion, the great paradox. You can't get to a place where you already are at. You cannot become more in heaven because you are heaven. You are this. You are what you are looking for. You are who you are looking for. There's, there's no place else to get but your belief that there's something essentially missing in you, either in your heart or your mind, your soul, whatever. There's something wrong. There's something missing that provides the impetus then for you to go out, you know, in, in some kind of quest, some kind of uh, search for something that will satisfy you or sanctify you or somehow make you more whole in some way. So you're, you're always on this quest and, you know, you may find it. It may be satisfying for a while, but it's short-lived. It's, um, I think, who was it? Um, Schopenhauer is one of those people said there's a, um, I think it was Nietzsche maybe, but the melancholy of completion, when you have it completed, then, you know, you need something else, some other momentum. So maybe the image that kind of reminds me of that is remember when we were kids, we had these slinky things that would go down the stairs and the momentum of it would just go one into the other, into the other, into the other. And if it's an infinite staircase, it's an infinite number of uh, onward and onward. But what happens if you just stop? If you stop the search, if you call off the search, if you call off the looking for something different, something other than and say, this is it. But but in order to have that, that realization, you have to give up your idea about what heaven looks like. And feels like. And feels like. You have to say, this is it. It, it may not look like I, my, my belief about heaven, but this is it. And, and live in a, in a world of, in a state of constant astonishment for every moment. Because that's where you find the heaven, in the minutiae, the minutiae of the moment. You used the word resistance, and light bulbs go off for me when I hear somebody talk about resistance in that way, that, yeah, life can be painful, it can be difficult, it can be confusing, but so much of the suffering and the pain comes from our resistance to that, and yet acceptance is difficult for, I think, especially Westerners, because it sounds like some sort of concession. Yes, and that's that's exactly the point, Michael. It's Acceptance just doesn't cut it, because it smacks of, I'm going to tolerate this. I'm going to put up with this. I'm going to just 
cope with it. I'm just, you know, kind of eye rolls, heavy sigh. I'm just going to accept it. I just have to accept it. But that smacks also a victimization feeling like somehow you're being put upon and punished by or, you, you know, you can tell your own story about what that means to you, that this stuff is happening to you or for you or with you or at you. But suppose that there's something else going on here. Suppose you went deeper beyond the acceptance. Suppose you actually got to a place when you looked at your life and absolutely everything that was showing up in your life, you made a conscious choice to actually choose that to be exactly the way it is. So you choose whatever's showing up, whatever appears on the path of your life. You make a conscious choice saying, I choose this to be in my life. So like you're, if you're driving down the freeway, 101 or whatever, and, and you come into a traffic jam and you have an appointment on the other side of the traffic jam, you just consciously choose that traffic jam to be there as it is, because <laughs> there it is as it is. And if you don't do that, you're going to war. You're going to, in a sense, go to war with how it is, how life is at that moment. And what happens invariably is when you go to war with life, life has a way of, in turn, going to war with you, pushing back on you. So it's not acceptance. It's choosing life to be exactly the way that it's showing up. And it has to be moment to moment to moment. You don't do it like a one-time event. Okay, I choose life to be as it is. No, no, no. It has to be done on a, a moment to moment to moment basis. And, but that's, that, even that's not enough because that's consciously choosing life to be as it is. The next final step is, and this is where love comes in, you embrace that. You embrace the reality of what that is and you love it, meaning whatever's showing up, exactly as it is. So you choose it with your mind, you embrace it with your heart. I think one of the most fascinating aspects of the current era, what is often called polarization, is the extent to which some of our friends and neighbors, family members, will invest in living in hell. The people that stormed the Capitol on January 6th, what do they love about Trump? He's unhappy. He's terrified. He's an uncivilized, disgusting individual. And yet people love him. Why? seems that he is like a cult leader and gives them permission to say, yes, I'm unhappy. Yes, I'm frightened. By the way, where's my gun? But um, if we band together and celebrate our victimization by fighting against these happy people, these successful people, then um, we'll feel, if nothing else, a sense of belonging but they're really investing in their own misery, aren't they? Yes, yeah, exactly. It's it's part of the the need that we have to to get validation for the beliefs that we be, that we believe that we hold dear and near and dear. Well, that's well said. So it's simply a way of being validated. Yeah, we want to be made right. We always have, all, all humans are kind of wired, hardwired to want to be made right, to be validated by the beliefs that they have. And, you know, this, this, I'm sure you're, you're familiar with the term confirmation bias. We, we tend to 
agree with the things that confirm our own biases and prejudices and disregard the rest and make excuses for them. They don't somehow fit into the mold. So we just say, no, that that, that doesn't count. So we devalue things that fly in the face of, of our own beliefs. And, and we raise in importance the stuff that in any way, shape or form may support that. Like, you know, this is why I think People go to Fox News because they they are they get reinforced constantly about their beliefs, and so they they get a chance to feel good and righteous um, about about their beliefs and validated every single night. I have a number of, of of questions to follow up on this, and I want to talk a little bit about the book you entitled Enlightenment for beginners. <laughs> and let's assume we're all beginners and we always will be beginners and we can always benefit from a little more insight into what it means to see beyond all of this. And so stay with us a short break and we'll be right back with our guest Chuck Killing. You're listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK. We'll be right back. This is Jackson Brown. I've been listening to KPFK since I was a teenager. Then and now, KPFK has been a lifeline to vital information without which we would be at the mercy of corporate media and commercial interests that control it. There are so many programs that I've listened to regularly and so many instances where I've come upon the unexpected, the unknown, and the sublime. Join me and become a member today at kpfk.org. Now more than ever before, it's essential to keep supporting KPFK and the free exchange of ideas and cultural viewpoints that foster our democracy. And the number, which is the only number I know actually by heart, 818-985-5735. KPFK. I came for inspiration. I came this is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK in Los Angeles, 90.7 FM and streaming for the world at kpfk.org. My guest is Chuck Hillig, and we've been talking about all manner of things around who we are and why we're here and what we're for and why it hurts so much and how we make things worse. So often we dig in our heels and as I was saying earlier, invest in our anxiety. Chuck just talked about confirmation bias rather than trying to improve ourselves. Many people just work to gather other people who suffer in similar ways around them as if that's sufficient or that's the only option. But we can get better. Self-improvement, human potential movement goes way back. Positive psychology, 30, 40 years old now. When I was in college, Chuck, psychology was running rats through mazes. Yes. <laughs> and uh, abnormal psych was the study of uh, schizophrenia and paranoia. Positive psychology is a, a fairly, fairly new thing. And then to step up to the idea of enlightenment, I suspect you're going to tell us that's a process, not a place to... But you've written the book, Enlightenment for Beginners. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I'll, I'll have to go back to uh, my distant and dusty past in the early 70s when I used to frequent a place that maybe some of your, most of your readers or listeners would be familiar with, and that's the old Bodhi tree 
at 85, 85 Melrose. So I would wander up and down those wonderful old dusty uh, passageways there and, and get out these ancient classic texts about Eastern philosophy and and be somewhat dismayed at seeing how big they were. Uh, they had like five, 600 pages and appendices and glossaries and stuff, and they were very complicated. And they, uh, some of them actually made you learn a different vocabulary or learn about these different esoteric words in order to, to go further into it. And I, I felt um, that there must be a better way of, and a simpler way of putting this, of, of trying to take all of this, this um, what, what Eastern philosophies were pointing at and distilling it just to the core quintessence. And so I went home. I was living in Ojai at the time, and I went home, and I, I literally got down and, and sat down and made a list of all of the different words that I had been familiar with uh, in, in the, the other books that I had read, that I did not want to use words like ascended masters or consciousness or um, astral plane or, or words that I thought would just be too confusing because they would, they would mean different things for different people. And I didn't want, I didn't want to lose my audience as they were reading these words. I wanted everybody on the same page, so to speak. And we're all going to go to the next page together so that they can all agree. I didn't want to lose anybody along the way by having them tangentially go off uh, saying, well, I know what he's talking about when that's not what I'm talking about. So I wanted to simplify it. I wanted to distill it down to its core. And so I, I wrote these words that I did not want to use and started to write the book. And the whole book itself, not counting the introduction, is a very short, easy read maybe 25 minutes or so. It's about 2,000 words, but and there's some drawings in it that are kind of cute, but it really tells the story of how this whole thing began, how, how, you, how you began to have this idea that you were separate, that you say, this is who I am. I am my thoughts. I am my feelings. I am my actions. I am my, my deeds, my, uh, my words. I, I am these things. I am that. And you identify yourself as being um, the the doer of and the experiencer of this uh, in this body that you have. You, you identify yourself as being the body, which is interesting because um, that's who you say you are. And then everything else in the world, you say you are not. And you make that initial separation with uh, the demarcation line, I suppose, would be the skin and that skin also is the is the inline of everything that you say you are not. The skin is the outline of everything you say you are, and it's also the inline of everything you say you are not. And you make that initial split. And uh, oftentimes, then your life becomes: How do I go about satisfying what what this body seems to crave? It seems to want food or sex or enjoyment or pleasure, and wants to avoid pain. So it goes down these different pathways, uh, but it, it comes out to a, a place frequently when people get to a, in their 30s and 40s and 50s, and they say, this is, is this all there is? That old song, is that all there is? Is this all that I need? Is this all that I want? Is this all who I am? And uh, it, it becomes 
for many people, quite an existential challenge uh, when they sit down and they go, I don't know what my life is about. I, I'm climbing this, la- this ladder of success, and I'm, as the saying goes, I'm, I discovered that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. It's not something that's uh, ultimately satisfying. And I want to find out who I am, and I want to find out what this is all about. And is it possible to be happy with this moment, to be at peace with this moment? And I, I tell them, well, happiness comes and goes. You know, now you're happy, now you're not happy, now you're happy, now you're not happy. I, oh, I got a beer, now I'm happy, now the beer is over, now I'm not happy. Back and forth. But I suggest that there's a deeper way to, to look at that. If happiness is temporary, what about if you held it in a context? If you held that happiness, unhappiness split in a context of joy, then you are joyful when you're happy and you're joyful when you're unhappy. But the context shifts. And this is the difference, you know, when when you start talking about non-duality, um, non-duality is not like more content that you would have. You're not like getting content like I have none. Now I know about this content, about this non-duality, so that's more content. I'm just going to put this up in my little biocomputer here. But that's not it. We're talking about a contextual shift. So how you're looking at life as it is will be different. Because after after you have that, You'll still have the mortgage to deal with. You'll still have your aches and pains and your uh, your arthritis and, and the problems with, with Nana and with your children and grandchildren. All of those things will still be present for you. It's not going to go away, comma, but you will look at it differently. You will experience it in a different contextual way. You'll see it more like a dance. You'll see it more like wow, this is just what is. I love that term, what is. Not that it's right, wrong, good, bad, or ugly. It's just what's so in this moment. And and the peace and the joy that I have is dependent upon my willingness to absolutely love how it is in this moment. And if I'm not loving how it is, totally with every fiber of my being in this moment, then I'm going to be resisting it. I'll go to war with it. It starts to go to war with me. And the the objection that I usually get from people is they say, yes, but if I see something terrible going on, if I see a child being hurt, shouldn't I get in there? Shouldn't I say no to that? I say, sure. Absolutely. Say no to that. Do something about it. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. But you do you do it this way. You say yes to your yeses and you say yes to the no's, too. So whenever you say no, you say yes to the fact that at least in this moment, at least in this instant, you're saying no. Then you enclose that no with a, a larger yes. But the, the fundamental default position for you is always yes. In Buddhist philosophy, as I understand it, there's an acknowledgement of sickness and suffering and death. And yes, there's pain, but the suffering is optional. Yes, the suffering is very personal. It becomes personal. 
There is pain. There is pain. But the suffering is up to you. Yeah, the suffering depends on the attachments you have, and that that creates the entanglements. When you think that this is all happening to me, it becomes different. For example, if you have a uh, an actor on the stage, and he is so identified with his character that whatever happens to the character, he believes is actually happening to him then he'll suffer all the the terrible things that happen or all the wonderful things that will happen because he thinks he is that character as opposed to um, an actor who knows that he's just playing this part, reading his lines. He'll still weep and wail and gnash his teeth if it's appropriate. Um, and from the audience's point of view, looking back, looking at these two actors – they'll see equally competent actors. But can you see that each of these actors would be having very different experiences? One thinks that it's happening to him, and the other one says, no, I'm an instrument of the universe's expression of this in this moment in space and time. I'm not attached to it. I'm non-attached, not detached, non-attached. You're reminding me of the Shakespeare line about... uh... All the world is a stage and we are but players. And yet we're also the director, the producer, the guy that sells the tickets up front, the janitor that cleans up when it's all over. And the audience. (laughs) And the audience. (laughs) And we own the building. Yeah. I had a guest who said to me once during an interview, there's only one of us here. Right. Yes. I, I, I thought that really summed it up nicely. Yeah, there's only one. There's only one of us. And and the moment that we that we don't get that is the moment that we make that split. And there's nothing wrong with making that split as long as you know that it's a play, that you're playing this out. You're not attached to it. And uh, and and you have to go through the motions of the character and the and the the words and the and the behavior of the character, um, but it's it's like in the third act of a five act play, knowing in the third act, I know how it's going to end. This is what's going to happen. It's all going to be okay. Yes, you may know that, but still, you're going to be obliged to read all of the lines for the rest of Act Three, Act Four, Act Five. Say all the lines, do all the actions, weep and wail, and whatever is required of you, you'll still have to go forward and go through each of that because it's impossible for you to fast forward. You can't just catapult yourself out of this and go right to the end. But you're going to be experiencing the rest of the play differently. You'll be experiencing it not in a place where you're attached and entangled and suffering, but in a non-attached way, a dance almost. You'll dance with it. Oh, I'm going to the guillotine. I'm going to dance along the way. (laughs) I'd like you to respond to a uh, metaphor that I recently read by Ramana Maharshi that uh, I really liked. He said, in a movie theater, the movie screen becomes invisible as soon as the pictures are projected upon it. 
Right. And you're allowing yourself to buy into this illusion of space and depth and perception and drama and the ebb and flow of the storyline and this whole artificial reality. But the screen that it's projected on is invisible until the movie stops. And then the movie, your thoughts and feelings, all go away. And the screen, the pure white consciousness, the awareness behind it all, only then does it become clear. Yes. I'm paraphrasing. He said it better than I. But comment on that. Yes, well, um, the seamlessness of that of that white screen and its willingness to accept comedies and tragedies and melodramas and farces and satires, it accepts it all willingly. And each of these characters on the screen cannot awaken to its own unreality. It cannot awaken to the screen. It won't awaken to the screen. In fact, if you tell it, oh, no, you know, you're really the screen underneath it. There's something else going on there. Um, that's not a it's not a, a winning message. It's like at night. Imagine how successful you would be at night if in you'd go up to one of your characters in your dreams at night and say, you're just a figment of my imagination. I'm really dreaming you. Are they likely to believe you? No. In fact, sometimes they may be very angry. In fact, some of them may even try to crucify you. I've done that. I've had dreams in which I was lucid enough not to confront the character. That's an interesting angle. But to confront the situation and realize at some point when I'm struggling in a dream, why am I doing this? This is just a dream. Yeah. <laughs> and I let it go. And then I wake up. If only I could be lucid enough in my waking life to do the same thing. It's interesting because you only have the ability to awaken to your own dream. You cannot awaken to Ramana Maharshi's dream or Nisargadatta or Buddha's or Christ. You are only able to awaken to your own dream. So this is this is where the the quest, if you want to put it that way, goes. Going within and, and finding out who you are and, and awakening to that dream. But you're not going to awaken from the dream. You're going to awaken to the dream. To the dream. I read, uh, <laughs> I read someplace, when you dream that you're dreaming, you're awake. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a Native American indigenous people's kind of a mm -hmm. uh, shamanic thing. But uh, this is all fascinating material. Chuck, thank you so much for being with us. How can folks get more information about your work, your books, and... Uh, I know you're retired, but you still see people occasionally. I, I do, and, of course, through Zoom and stuff, I'm available. Probably the best thing to do is just to go to my website, and that's Chuck Hillig, C-H-U-C-K-H-I-L-L-I-G.com. Um, and there's like 20 different web pages, and one of them is that video that I referenced earlier and also, is, there's, a, there's a link to showing you how you can actually contact me uh, and, and set up some kind of counseling session. Um, my books are available on Amazon. 
Um, if you go to YouTube and just type in Chuck Hillig, you'll see a number of my talks at Science and Non-Duality um, conferences or at Mensa. Or just Google Chuck Hillig and you'll find, you know, a couple of thousand different links to my name uh, having to do with various things. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you being here. And it's a pleasure to be able to chat with somebody like you. And I get to do it every week. Yeah, lucky you. Well, I appreciate the fact that you even thought of me and wanted to talk again. So once again, yeah, thanks again, Michael. And I wish you well, sir. It was my intuition, not my logic, that <laughs> shouted out, call Chuck. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't talked to him in a long time anyway. So I appreciate it. We'll, we will. We'll do it again. Chuck Hilly, my guest on the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. You're listening to KPFK, and we'll be right back after this short break. The Car Show has aired on KPFK since 1973. And perhaps you have a car that's been sitting in your driveway since 1973 or 1993. Or maybe you're still driving it, but it's time to say goodbye. Get rid of that thing and help KPFK at the same time. Your donation of your old car gets it out of your life and helps KPFK as a tax-deductible donation. And not just cars. Trucks, boats, and motorcycles are also welcome. It's easy. Just call 877-KPFK-AUTO and we'll handle all the details. Let your old car help KPFK. KPFK on your radio at 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. In Santa Barbara, we're heard at 98.7, 93.7 FM in North San Diego, and up in the high desert, Ridgecrest and China Lake at 99.5. Hope you've enjoyed the show to this point. We are in the winter fun drive, and it's time to remind you that Every hour that goes by, you are spared 18 minutes of nonsense. <laughs> That's what it costs to operate a commercial radio station. Almost one-third of every hour is devoted to a lot of negative messages about how inadequate you are, that you're not good enough, not smart enough, not pretty enough, and you need this product, right? Or you need this particular service. And we may not appreciate the toll these negative messages take on us, but watching commercial TV or listening to commercial radio really fills your head with a lot of negativity. So what's the alternative? Well, there are not very many alternatives at all, save for listener-sponsored radio. And that's what Pacifica and KPFK is all about. We invented the idea of listener-sponsored, non-commercial radio. So, several times a year, we have a phone drive. You've probably heard other stations do this as well, but none of them have the progressive format of KPFK. So, we're different in two ways. We're a non-commercial radio station, but we're also bringing you consistently a progressive message. It might often sound like politics, but... More often than not, it may have something to do with our behavior, sociology or psychology or philosophy, why we think, feel, and act the way we do. This particular program, the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, is a program about self-awareness. Now, think about it. Where else but KPFK could you find a program about personal empowerment, self-improvement, 
on the topic of waking up, being more aware, more alert, developing your consciousness to really notice what you notice and be more effective in the world. But it takes your support. And so we're asking you to pick up the phone and call 818-985-5735, 985-KPFK in the 818 area code. Or the easy way, go to your computer and point your browser to kpfk.org slash donate. That's the w's.kpfk.org forward slash donate and make your pledge, your contribution there. I'd like to suggest that you check out the Sustainer's Circle. You'll find that on the banner if you don't see it right away. Just choose Sustainer's Circle from the drop-down menu, and you can pledge as little as $5, 10 $25 a month, and it is silently pulled right out of your bank account. It's, it's, it's painless. You won't even notice that it's gone. And you're making your contribution to Progressive Free Speech Radio, and you have a nice tax deduction at the end of the year as well, because we are, of course, a nonprofit, a 501c3 organization. So search your conscience and help us out with a donation or pledge today of $25 or more. We're looking for a $100 contribution, a $150, $250 contribution. If you use the Sustainer's Circle, maybe it'll be $5 a month or $25 a month or $50 a month. Depending on your income and your situation, a lot of folks are not working during COVID. Many of you are fortunate to be working. If so, you can help pull that extra load by supporting KPFK during these difficult times. 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. Helping me out today with the pledge drive is my wife, my best friend, and a former talk show host here on KPFK, Doreen Key. Hello, Doreen. Thank you, Michael. I'm so happy to be here. KPFK is the coolest radio station. It is the heart of LA Radio, spreading the truth for over 60 years. That's how I like to think of it. KPFK will tell you the truth when so many other people obfuscate. They don't tell the truth like KPFK since we are in the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School here, a really famous mystic, Madame Blavatsky, once said famously, there is no religion higher than truth. And I completely believe that. And the truth is what we're going for here, because where do you go for truth? You go to KPFK. KPFK is a community. You want to be part of this community of truth seekers? Then Nine eight five five seven three five in the eight one eight area code, eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five. I am, as I said, honored to be here today and to help maybe get some people that haven't donated before. You got to know that KPFK works on a shoestring budget. Most of us are volunteers here. We got to keep this station on the air. LA needs KPFK, just like. A human body needs a beating heart. That's exactly what KPFK does. KPFK brings the the greatest guests. We have amazing people supporting this station. So support what supports you. KPFK.org is a way for all of our international listeners to be part of a great community 
right here in Los Angeles and be part of what I like to think of as the heart of L.A. radio. For over 60 years, KPFK has been spreading truth everywhere. KPFK has defended the downtrodden, defended workers, workers' rights, human rights, civil rights, women's rights. So please help support what supports you. It is such an amazing station. We know you have a lot of choices media-wise. Who do you want to listen to? Well, you're listening to KPFK right now. That's why you're hearing this, and we appreciate that. And part of that is, can you please give us whatever you can? Please donate now. Go to kpfk.org forward slash donate. I know there are people all over the world listening right now, people fighting for their freedom, fighting for democracy, really. And so we hope that you will help us out. Go to kpfk.org forward slash donate. Give whatever you can. It would be great. If you haven't donated before, think of how good it's going to feel. Think about the karma of helping this radio station stay on the air. I don't know what L.A. would be without KPFK, Michael. We hope you'll get excited about contributing to KPFK. It's so wonderful having Michael back on the air Every week now, we get Michael Benner back on KPFK every single week. And if you like Michael's show and you want to support Michael's show, please donate now. Pick up a phone and call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. And if you're listening outside of the United States, go to kpfk.org forward slash donate. And please donate, give whatever you can. If everybody just gave a little bit, then KPFK could stay on the air. And we would love to have new people donating. We want new family members. We want to increase the size of this community because it's a community of truth seekers. And that's what KPFK is all about. That's why I listen to KPFK. There are so many reasons to support free speech radio. Please call now, 818-985-5735, kpfk.org forward slash donate. You know, Doreen, I was thinking the other day that when we do live performances and we stand up in front of a group of people, we can create rapport by listening for laughter and, of course, applause. (laughs) That always feels wonderful. But that's how we connect with the audience. That's how we know we're doing a good job. If we get a laugh when we tell a joke or if we get applause at the end, it's a wonderful feeling. If you've ever been on stage, if you're a performer, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's also why so many television programs are shot in front of a live studio audience, even though they're pre-recorded and broadcast later in the day. It brings so much to a performer that they can make that connection. Well, due to the nature of radio, we don't have any of that. We can't hear your chuckle. We can't hear your belly laugh. And we don't hear your applause. (laughs) I don't suppose it ever occurred to you to applaud somebody on the radio, but you may have felt like it. So how do we get that feedback? Where do we get that connection? How do we know we're doing a good job? How do we know we're appreciated? How do we know what you like? This is the way. You go to your telephone and dial 818-985-5735. 
Some say 985 KPFK, if you want to do it that way, in the 818 area code, and make a pledge. Or the easy way is really to go right online, use your computer, point your browser to kpfk.org slash donate. So after the W's, it's kpfk.org slash donate. And just step through the screens and you can make a contribution of $100, $150, $250. Or we like to recommend the sustainer circle. I think that makes it painless. And for as little as $5 a month or 10 or $25, $50 a month, whatever your conscience dictates, You can set things up with a couple of mouse clicks that allow us to draw that amount from your bank account, from your credit, debit, ATM card, however you want to set it up. It's easy peasy, it's painless, you won't even miss it, and you're making a regular monthly contribution to KPFK. I know a lot of people are sending you emails and asking for contributions, all these politicians They got millions of dollars, but they want your five bucks. I understand. And there are many, many other worthy charities that you can contribute your money to. And we understand that. But consider what you get in return. And consider what you would not have access to if this radio station were to go off the air. And I hate to sound desperate, but these are desperate times. We've never fully recovered from the crash of 2008. We mortgaged the building to stay on the air. We're coming back. We're going to survive. We're going to get better and better and better as a new generation replaces the old. And a younger generation appreciates there's really nowhere else to get this kind of unvarnished, honest truthful information. And let me just say as a little brief aside, what is truth? I need to acknowledge in philosophy, it's called the two truth philosophy. (laughs) What is that? There is such a thing as personal truth. You find the room is a little warm, but this other fellow over here says, no, it's actually sort of cool. I wish I had a sweater. That's your truth, that's his truth, that's her truth, you can disagree. But there's also an absolute truth, and that's the room is whatever, 68 degrees, let's say. Or when someone says, wow, that was really fast, what is fast? Fast like a brisk walk? Fast like a horse galloping at full tilt? Faster than a speeding bullet? These are relative truths. But there is an absolute truth. Many of them are enumerated in the Bill of Rights. And on January 6th, you saw how close we came to losing the Bill of Rights. They were shouting freedom. They were waving American flags, but they were also using the poles that those American flags were mounted upon to beat police officers and others to the ground, killing one... And since then, others have died, two of them from suicide. 140 police, men and women, injured in an attack that you have to call a fascist attack. They say they oppose socialism. They're binary thinkers. You're not a binary thinker. 
You don't believe that your choices are limited to a fascist dictator or a communist dictator, do you? You see all the relative shades of gray or the rainbows in between all this and all that? The right wing doesn't understand truth in that way. I know this is a broad brush, but generally speaking, having to answer bifurcation and binary thinking with the truth that there are alternatives. Here's a third way. Here's a fourth option. Here's a fifth possibility. Here's a sixth way of looking at things. My God, even in school, we weren't limited to true or false. We had multiple choice and fill in the blank and essay questions. Why should the real world be any different? Truth is important, and it requires free speech. And in order to have free speech on the radio, we need listener sponsorship, right? Isn't that it in a nutshell? Isn't that really what it's all about? You replacing the corporations that would otherwise sponsor this media? I don't suppose you want to wake up one day, turn on KPFK, and find out that it's become another Christian radio station or they're playing Hungarian polka music. You want KPFK on the dial reliably, day after day, 24-7. And in order to do that, we need your support now more than ever. 818-985-5735 or on the web the w's.kpfk.org slash donate kpfk.org slash donate and I want to thank you very much for being with us today for supporting the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK and Doreen I want to thank you for helping out today too Thank you, Michael, and I'm happy to do whatever I can to help KPFK, the coolest radio station ever, the heart of L.A. radio. Please keep KPFK on the air, 818-985-5735. Thank you so much for letting me be here today. And join us next Tuesday and every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. for the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. Thanks for supporting listener-sponsored free speech radio for all of Southern California and the world. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner on KPFK, Los Angeles.